0: 2020 has been an enormous stress test for the work of chief information officers in the Victorian public sector Typically, they're positions that involve trying to develop a strategic approach to governing investment in technology and IT systems But the real test of any strategy is how well it lets you respond and adapt to the unexpected Hello i'm nick bastow and today on public sector perspectives we talk to elizabeth wilson who's the ceio of the victorian department of education and training her challenge in 2020 has been an enormous one just like many other public sector organizations the education and trainings department's 2300 staff had to rapidly switch into remote working but elizabeth wilson and her team were also responsible for making sure that the technology and systems were in place to allow the entire state education system to make the switch to remote working for teachers and remote learning for students. It was a daunting challenge because the state education system in Victoria is huge. There are roughly 46,000 teachers and 630,000 students at 1,500 government schools around Victoria. And all of them were expected to go online. So, when the COVID crisis hit in March and schools were shut down and students and teachers were suddenly learning via WebEx, the first thing Elizabeth Wilson and her team had to work out was does everyone have a computer?
1: One of the things that we've done on an annual basis for, for um, a few years is a census of computers in schools um, just to see um make sure that we have a, a one-to-one allocation basically in schools of computers and um, we'd sort of completed that census in, in February but didn't have all of the all of the data available to us but past census showed us that there was pretty well a one-to-one um, uh, computer to student um, uh, availability in schools and um, what we didn't know though is what sort of computers they were. So were they mobile devices or were they, you know, sort of a a desktop computer? Um, So the first thing that we had to really understand, our our schools are quite autonomous in the way they manage um, devices, etc. And every school has a different model. Um, Some of them have a BYAD environment, some of them um, provide computers, some of them have computer labs, you know, all quite different. So the first thing that we really had to address was understanding what schools actually had to provide to students. And the minister made the announcement that every student would have access to a device to to learn from home. So understanding what that gap was between what students actually had and what we might need to provide.
0: As you mentioned, um, public public education is an enormous undertaking in Victoria. There are Roughly fifteen hundred government schools. There are forty six thousand teachers, six hundred and thirty thousand six hundred and thirty thousand students at those schools. Before COVID, how much of your work focus went into the IT systems at those at the school level, that the, the the level that with the students, the parents, and the the teachers interact with? Um, a fair bit. So,
1: um, a great. Um, the, the, majority of our budget goes on on providing um, technology um, support for schools. Um, We manage the network um, that provides internet access to all of our schools. Um, We manage the uh, student administration system on behalf of the schools. Um, And fortuitously, we had rolled out Cisco WebEx um, over the preceding um, 18 months to all of our government schools, so every government school had that um, virtual classroom capability within the school. Uh, The biggest shift for us was um, our schools had bandwidth, et cetera, but our students didn't necessarily have that at home and our students didn't necessarily have the devices at home. So it was the shift between moving from a school environment to a home environment. Mm
0: -hmm. The department itself is a large and complex place. There's 2,300 staff who... uh, provide a whole range of very crucial systems and services. And there are lots of presumably IT complex IT systems and information flow processes behind those services. Uh, I suppose COVID generally has been an enormous stress test of public sector IT systems um, and services. Um, What have you learned about the digital fitness of those existing services when they were put under that stress?
1: Um, I think we realised we're very fortunate. <laughs> um, our systems held up extremely well. So um, we had, um, f- just from a device perspective, we'd actually standardised on laptop computers um, for all our staff. Um, and we were probably about two thirds of the way around replacing all of our desktop computers. So, so that was reasonably easy for us. Um, we had very good um, virtual private networks, so connectivity into our systems. Into our data centres, so um, we just had to beef up the capacity, if you like. So for us, it was more around capacity um, than anything else. Um, we needed to beef up some capacity of the um, what's called the Fuse website, which is basically where all of the um, information for teachers and schools sits um, around learning from you know learning etc. Learning um, collateral. So more about. Um, um, uh, do, dealing with scale in a remote environment than uh, our systems themselves. They, they were really, really held up well.
0: And I suppose the other challenge too with schools is they're extraordinarily distributed right around the Strait. I mean, there's lots and there's lots and lots of schools in Melbourne, but the regional areas, the kind of infrastructure availability out there must be different, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, um, and you know, one of the things that's more difficult in the regional and rural areas is actually getting the support to schools because there's not always the um, capability in in small areas of you know sort of technology um, technology support. Um, we we sort of adjusted our what's called the technical support for schools program. Um, we adjusted that to. Um, Normally, a school gets support based on the number of students they have. They get a baseline of so, so much per week, so many hours per week, and then it's, then it's um, calculated on the number of students they have. Um, we basically took away that and just said we, we'll just pool all of the technical resources, and we will um, we will just allow them to schools to actually get whatever services they need. Um, the other thing that we've done is um, we've through working for Victoria. Initiative. Um, we've actually recruited additional resources, and the majority of them in rural areas, um, so that we have more support in those rural and regional areas than what they normally get.
0: What about in the transition to remote working for department staff? Because that's a that's a big undertaking in itself too. To suddenly have a whole, to suddenly have to switch your whole whole staff into a sort of into remote working environments. How well did that? Did your systems stand up to that sort of stress?
1: Extremely well. So um, we basically moved all of our staff into a remote uh, working environment within two weeks. So, um, as I said, we, we had we had all of the technology available. Um, remembering we have regional offices, so there's always been a need to access our, our systems um, remotely. Um, so we had all of the technology in place. It was just a matter of scaling some of it up um, and um, we you know, with support from some of our suppliers, um, Increasing, um, increasing the sort of um, the size of the pipes and things like that. Um, we we did have um, we had to uh, provide laptops to some of our staff who were still using desktop computers, but um, we really didn't have any issues. There were some initial, um, I guess, some initial issues with people at home just learning from their home, you know, internet access and all of that sort of stuff from their home with a work computer and all that sort of thing. Some initial teething issues, but um, nothing at all major. So we were very, very fortunate.
0: Let's pull back a bit and think about the long-term goal of digital transformation in the public sector. I read a quote where you were talking about the challenges of being a CIO and you said that what you'd learnt was that the technology is actually the easy bit. It's the people and culture is the hard part. Public sector IT projects generally have a checkered history—some good, some bad. Um, so, is it something about the people and culture elements of the public sector that make it so challenging, or is it that we just don't hear about the same sort of IT project problems in the private sector?
1: I expect it's probably more of the latter, um, because I've worked in the in the private sector uh, for quite a lot of my career, and I can tell you there's there's a uh, uh, large number of failures <laughs> of, of, of what are called ICT projects, and I think that's the fundamental issue um, because they're really not. There's very few things that you could say are an ICT project. They're usually a business project that has a has a technology component, um, and and I, I would stand by. And I think the research shows very clearly that a lot of the um, a lot of the issues with projects are around the the cultural change, um, you're basically changing the way people do things. So um, that's challenging for some. And if you don't provide the appropriate support and the attention to that part of, of uh, delivering a technology system, new technology system, um, it's always going to be problematic.
0: You are, as you said, someone with uh, – you've got a very long experience of seeing IT uh, – seeing projects, those sort of change projects that – um, across a whole range of industries. You've worked at universities, local governments, statutory authorities like VicRoads, big range of um, private sector businesses. Um, do you think that the experience of COVID-19 will actually accelerate, ultimately accelerate the long-term digital transformation process in the public sector?
1: Uh, definitely. I th- think for a couple of reasons. I think one is that um, a lot of people have learned how to use um, Digital, you know, capabilities um, that they may not have been exposed to before. Um, I also think that, um, and, and what certainly what we've seen happen is um, we've had to um, be very, very agile in in response. So we've had to um, do some things very, very quickly, like um, establish the working for Victoria site, um, you know, just things like that. And, and currently, the one for the um, registration of people interested in um, the tutoring in schools. So I think that's exposed um, across our department certainly more people outside of IT uh, around doing things in an agile way um, and I think typically uh, typically government and and some other you know sort of large organizations outside of government have always taken the waterfall approach where you do this huge big project you know that, that goes for so so long, you know, and, and cost millions and millions of dollars. And, and that's an extremely high-risk way of doing anything um, when you think about it. So I think with um, the advent of cloud platforms, etc., our ability now to um, work in a continuous improvement cycle, i.e. just developing new capability all the time, um, without this huge big bang approach, um, using agile methodologies is something that... Um, well, first of all, do risk um, projects, but also um, get people to understand how you can do things differently. Um, and I think it, it also, that, that approach also brings much closer the technology capability and the business capability, um, so that you're jointly doing these things. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, that the user experience then, then um, becomes a very, very important factor in it. If you're co-designing, working together, in designing something that's really fit for purpose, that um, people have been involved with it right from the word go, so they don't feel like they're having things imposed on them. So I think there's many reasons why it will fast track, um, and I think a lot of us already have a lot of the a lot of the technology capability that's required. It's a matter of addressing our processes and and um, and, and how things work.
0: How do we lock in that digital? Di- dividend though so we don't go back to the old ways because there's there's a clearly a powerful yearning for a return to the old ways of you know our social interactions um at face-to-face working and those sorts of things um there must be a risk then that we'll sort of once we lose i suppose the authorizing environment of of a crisis where things have to be done quickly that the temptation will be there to sort of move back to older systems
1: yeah, I, I, I think there's a real intent in uh, Cross Victorian Public Service not to let that happen. Um, to actually take <coughs> take what was good, what, what the good that came out of this, the things that we learned that were good, and blend them with the things that um, you know that that we need to do um, from a, um, a compliance and a you know and, and sort of following the right processes and policies, etc. So I think. Um, you know, taking the best out of it, there is a real intent. And I certainly know that our secretary has even spoken and we had an all staff forum this week and she spoke about that, about um, how we must, you know, that she's quite passionate about um, going paperless, you know, and, and, and really sort of um, this is an opportunity, a real opportunity for us to do this. Um, we've, we've picked up some habits and we're doing things in a different way now. And what can we take from that that's good and continues? So I think the will is definitely there and the leadership is there to do it.
0: One of Australia's successes, it seems, in responding to COVID-19 has been a relatively a very close relationship between public sector health experts and political leadership at the state and Commonwealth level. With some exceptions, that's not been so clear in the sort of digital transformation challenge. Um, Certainly at the Commonwealth level, it doesn't seem to be a clear political champion for digital transformation in the way that perhaps a former Prime Minister Turnbull was. Do you think it's possible to advance digital trans the ta- digital transformation agenda within the public sector without having that very explicit political support or political leadership?
1: Yeah, I mean leadership's always important, isn't it? When you when you really want to um, initiate um, big changes and transformation, um, I think that you know I think we do have examples in Victorian government about how, um, and I think Child Link is a great example, you know, and that, that's come from I think it's the way it's articulated, and, and and maybe we should stop talking about digital transformation, um, and just talk to, talk about how we optimize um, the you know the the people that we serve, how we optimize their experience when they're dealing with the public service, and if we perhaps take the labels off things um, that I'm quite sure that most governments would be very supportive of that, um, and not. Um, so putting a label of sort of digital transformation on it sometimes is probably something that perhaps we need to consider whether that's the right thing to do.
0: There's a difference in language between optimization and transformation and optimization, I suppose, suggests incremental improvements. Transformation always sets a, 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 broad, a far bigger sort of agenda for change. Um, do you think the problem is that, in fact, our... Our rhetoric is getting in the way of what we really want to do, and that transformation sets up a series of unrealistic expectations, which sometimes dooms us to fail.
1: Um, yeah, would totally agree. So, transformation is a very frightening word to a lot of people. Um, but um, if, if you optimise, you're you really just, and I think it goes back to that um, the comment I made about. Um, uh, you know, sort of continuous improvement rather than, you know, a big bang approach. It's it's the same concept, is uh, just change things. Just change things as you go along. Just, just make small changes, improve things as you go along. That's not frightening to anybody. But it, the minute you put the word transformation into something that you're doing, um, you will get resistance um, because people... Um, Particularly if you can't really articulate what you're transforming to, um, and what the transformation's about, or, or why you're doing it. Um, transformation for transformation's sake is, is probably not a, you know, not not something that people really would agree with. But just incremental change is a great thing, and uh, I think all of the new methodologies around agile and all of that sort of that thing speak to that. And I think those things are addressing that old problem of the big transformation um, that, that we've always done in the past.
0: Finally, in 12 months time in what is hopefully a COVID free world, or at least a COVID normal Victoria, what would be some of the signs you'd want to see that we were actually making progress toward in the, the digital optimization of the public sector?
1: Um, I think, for for me, I'd look at it from two perspectives, one from the corporate perspective and one from our schools. So in the corporate perspective, I would have thought that um, we no longer sign a piece of paper. Um, You know, that's a fairly simple thing, but, um, and and that our workflows just happen. Um, You know, things flow through the organisation, information flows through the organisation seamlessly. and really, we don't have people having to do some of the manual stuff that we're doing now. In the school environment, I think it, it's more about having... Um, it would be great to see all of our teachers with the capability to incorporate the use of digital in their pedagogy. So, um, and, and not having, um, not having schools or, or any education institution having to teach digital as a separate thing um, that it's really embedded in what we do. Um, and I suppose similar in corporate as well, but it's just embedded. We, d- we don't talk about it anymore. It's not a, not a thing that we have to talk about digital learning or, you know, digitising the organisation or whatever. It's just happened. Um, and I think that speaks back to the, rather than the big transformation, let's just, um, you know, improve slowly.
0: Elizabeth Wilson, thanks so much for being part of Public Sector Perspectives this week.
1: Thank you. That
0: brings us to the end of this episode of Public Sector Perspectives, which was recorded in October 2020. Public Sector Perspectives is produced for IBA Victoria. I'm Nick Bastow, and thanks for listening.